Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Hadar. The weather has been incredible. With lockdown lifting in just a week's time, things are slowly starting to return to normal and it's great. And so to commemorate that, I thought we could do an episode that I recorded live back in January. When I recorded this, I was about 800 years pregnant. Um, And you might hear Kian Simiani, my guest for today, uh, commenting on that. I actually found out I was pregnant in Berenjack uh, over a year ago. Um, And then uh, Clark and Wellboy and Berenjack did a collaboration at Soho House in White City. And that's where I met Kian. I told him my pregnancy story and then I asked him to be on the show. And then there we were. This was right in between the lunch and dinner service. So you can hear the chefs and kind of staff in the background shouting and chatting and clinking and putting things on tables and getting ready. And I just thought it was just so great to hear those sounds again, like you're in a restaurant. So I've left all that in um, and I love it. So you'll hear that in the background. So other than that, the episode is quite different to the others because Baron Jack is actually backed by JKS Group. So JKS Group own Hopper's, Bao, Gymkhana, Lyles, Brigadier's, Rice Error, several restaurants, all very successful. So this isn't just a restaurant or a brand that completely started from scratch. They were backed by a huge company. So for that reason, we're not going to really talk about funding and advertising because obviously that would be covered through the group. Uh, This is more of a, a spotlight on the chef's journey and what vision he had for the restaurant and how he brought it to life. Baron Jack set out to reinterpret the classic hole-in-the-wall kebab shops that line the streets of Tehran. Kian, who's actually Iranian-born himself, brought his vision to life from his memories of visiting Tehran as a kid. From the vibrant open-plan kitchen, the fresh bread being made in the tenure by the window, to the distressed feel of the place with the exposed brick, the Persian rugs, the foliage, this small boho chic Persian has such a unique charm about it that we were totally missing in London. Right, here we go. I thought we'd kick it all off by asking Kian a bit about his childhood. Here's Kian. Yeah, I'm British born. Uh, my parents are Iranian. Uh, I was a little shit. <laughs> I used to go to my dad's uh, restaurant on the weekends to kind of keep me out of trouble. Oh, so he owned a restaurant? In yeah, London. he owned a really shitty Mexican Tex-Mex place <laughs> in Twickenham, like really suburban, leafy town. And yeah, he just he used to make like force me to go there after school um, on the weekend just to stay out of trouble. It didn't keep me out of trouble, but you know, I, and that's how I kind of found my place in this world. I, I would go there and you know it was natural to me and my brother used to come on the weekends on the really busy shifts when whenever there was a big rugby match on like Twickenham was crazy and they were like the really big days the days where you'd feed maybe 500 people and my brother would like turn up on his motorbike he was, and my brother's like maybe 15 years older than me so like, I, re- I was young I was like 14 and I, so I really looked up to him. He'd come in with his motorbike he'd come through the back door he'd do the busy service and then he'd go and that's like when I finished school, I was like, right, you know, I can already do this. Would you just be like chopping onions, like doing like stuff, everything? So everything. I'd, like, I'd work with, the, I'd make, like reheat for heat, I'd make the feeders, yeah. serve the feeders, do like salad sections sometimes. Okay. They did pizza as well, so sometimes mm-hmm. I'd, I'd do pizza, like all sorts of stuff, uh, like nachos, like <laughs> yeah. really shit, shit jobs. Yeah. Um, like making guacamole. Days I'd do prep. You know, like my dad just used me to like. Sure, like it's against the law, but save labor. <laughs> Child labor. Child labor, yeah. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed it. You know, and I enjoyed like working with like adults, 
and they keep they give me cigarettes to smoke out the back. I hope my parents don't listen to this. <laughs> um, so like I smoke around the back of them, they like, give me a little shot now and then. Back in those days, like we're talking maybe 15 years ago, where the kitchen was very different and almost the caliber of chefs weren't as good as what you've got now. You know, delinquents would become chefs. People that didn't go to school would become chefs. Drug addicts would become chefs. Criminals would become chefs. Whereas actually now you've got really well-educated people deciding to leave their careers and well-paid industries and jobs to come and cook for 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, which is crazy, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we, it all just appealed to me, like the rush of it, the buzz of it, instant cash, you know, all my mates were broke. And I had always had money in my pocket. So that that was really nice. Um, but it's, it's short-term thinking, you know, but it's too late now. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you go to school to yeah, become so a chef? I finished, I finished secondary school and told my dad I wanted to be a chef. He was not happy. Oh, he was really? like, yeah, he was like, you know, you're only meant to be there to kind of learn principles of working and value like the pound and not not actually be a chef. So it backfired on him a little bit. Okay. So then I went to college. And because I'd kind of worked in a restaurant for two years by then, I kind of knew the basics. NVQ level one and NVQ level two are really basic courses. They're like, this is a blue chopping board, it's for fish. This is a green knife, it's for, you know, it's for vegetables. It's really basic. So after like three Where months- Where did you do that? Uh, Richmond College. Okay. And after three months, I was like, fuck this. And because I was working at the same time for Anthony Royal Thompson, who had his prime days. Um, he was a celebrity chef. How Good. did you get that? I just worked. Uh, this was after I was 16. So after I left okay. school, I went and worked there. It was like my first real job. And I was learning like just basic stuff, you know, how to make stocks, simple food, simple like English brasserie food, but done well. And it was all new to me because I'd worked in such a shit place, like my dad's restaurant. And actually, does he still have this restaurant? No, no, it's, okay. it's long gone. I'd never dare <laughs> say this if he had still had it. But even growing up at home, like we never went out to like an English restaurant, so I didn't know much about food. I knew I had no idea what like, Michelin star was at 16. I had no idea like anything about French cuisine, Spanish cuisine, Italian cuisine, because we'd always eat at home. And yeah, sometimes we'd go for like pizza or Nando's, or, you know, like every family. I was like, wow, you know, like I made the right, I've made the right choice here. I've got money in my pocket. I'm learning something new. It's exciting. I'm studying at the same time. But then the appeal of like having more money. Like I couldn't find the balance, you know, like I covered a shift because someone was sick and then I called in sick for college because I covered that shift and then like you end up with more money and you're like, actually, you know what, like this is going to do me for the rest of my life. If I save £3,000, I can buy a house. It's like, you know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of stupid mentality. And then your mates are still broke because now they're at college and they're not working. Right. You know, and they've got like 20 quid pocket money and you're walking around with hundreds of pounds in your pocket. It's appealing yeah. as an 18 year old. Oh, yeah. You buy all the best stuff, you buy like whatever you want, you go to the shops taking your mates to McDonald's. Yeah. Like it's nuts. It's on me, guys. So, so, you <laughs> yeah. know what, I got this. Um, yeah, and that, that's how I fell into the industry. And that's like my childhood. And so you left me. college and left you college. continued working? I worked full time. Full time in the, in the kitchen. And then like my brothers took me to... Did your brother go into it as well? My brother, no, he just, yeah. he tricked me. You see, he knew the money wasn't in there. He'd just come and help. And he like made me think it was a cool job. And then when I decided to do it, he went and did something else. He went and did construction. So actually he's doing really well now. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, good yeah. for you too now. Yeah, yeah good. Now it is. Now. 15 years later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was it. Really, that was my childhood. I left college, I was like, fuck this. You know, I don't need to do this. Like, we were the losers. Like, the, the catering group at Richmond College was like, such a cliche, like, stereotype loser group of people that, like, didn't integrate well with the rest of the college. We didn't really get, do, like, social things because we had different schedules to the rest of the college and we were really, like, segregated. Like, the college campus was here and there was a little walkway and then through a gate and then like in the little building where we'd work. So yeah, it was 
a shit time and I really preferred working because and you just felt like you were learning more from work oh, 100%, anyway 100% okay. 100% um, so yeah that was that and then my brothers introduced me took me to Taste of London for a birthday present and it like opened up a whole new world for me again you know like that's where I learned about Michelin stars about all that kind of stuff we had like lamb chop from Matul Kotchar's place Benares and it was like the most delicious thing I've ever eaten you know and that I was like okay, I have to go work there I have to go learn how to make this lamb chop so I went and increased my Michelin experience from there so I went and I worked at Benares it was only for like I was young ran my so you just young, apl- so. apply for the job yeah and just, they just you, you turn up you go look I want a job and do a trial shift and you just like I'll do anything yeah but, okay. and they give you like junior roles commie shift I started there like filling up squeezy bottles prepping yeah. like salad frying poppadoms but then eventually like they kind of push you they can see you can do basic stuff so they give you more and more and more which was great but it's hard like you're working from 8am to 1am you know you'll get a one hour break it's just a lot they're long days they're really long days and then you get the bus the night bus home so you get home at 3am and you got to get up at 6am because it's you know it's two hours to get home and it's two hours to come back in the morning it's just too much you know you, you find yourself burning out some people can do it some people have been doing that for years but that's just not what I want to do you know doing that six days a week it's not, it's not how right. long did you do that for six months you know so I was just like the money was like pittance as well so I was like yeah this isn't for me and then I went and worked at some stuff I went and worked at Bingham in Richmond got a bit and it was actually another place that was striving for a mission to start the wages were better the hours were less it was still fine dining, so it was still kind of like... In my mind at this point, I was like, okay, I want to do fine dining. Okay, you know, I want to get... I don't know, just like, just the food was so nice and so yeah. good, and everyone was so passionate, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I went and worked for a chef, Shay Cooper, who was at the Bingham, when he had three rosettes, and they are pushing for a star. I worked there for like, again, like seven, eight months, maybe a year. And uh, yeah, he, they, they won a star eventually, and I moved on. At this point, when the next time I moved on was because like, my friends started to like, make money, you know, and I was like, okay, now I'm not earning so much. I need to find a job where I earn a bit much, because they're like catching up. And there was a new Jamie's Italian opened up in Kingston, and I, just, I walked in and they were busy, like you wouldn't believe the queues they had. You know, you see a restaurant in so When was this? What year, roughly? This, oh gosh, I'd have to look in, I don't know. This was like a year, this was like a year after the whole Jamie's thing launched. So it launched in Oxford, Bath, and Kingston was the third one they opened. But it was only like four or five months after they'd opened that I started to kind of try and push for a job. Everyone, everyone was talking about it. Friends, family, Marcus Kingston's like, I live in Kingston, I grew up in there. It's a small town, you know, like words get around. You, you, you bump into friends and family on the high street. It's really, really small. And the queues were like, you know, you, like I said, you see, uh, I saw a restaurant and there's like four or five people waiting outside. And you're like, oh, fuck that. Like this queue would be like 20, 30 people. You know, it would go at least, 15 meters long, you know, to get into a restaurant. I people remember when you opened here yeah. in um, Covent Garden, it was like always a queue as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The there's always a queue, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, there's still some restaurants that have long, long queues, like Dishoom and yeah, Covent Garden. Dishoom, yeah. Oh, most of them actually usually have a really long queue. But this was like a queue. Like, yeah. You know when you see people lining up to get onto a plane? Yeah. It was like, it was like that, <laughs> yeah. you know? It was like speedy boarding on one side, a woman with a clipboard. And, and that was so new to like restaurants. No one had seen anything like that before. Nobody would queue for an hour to get into a restaurant. So I think that was the first company that started to get queues. That I'm in my generation. Obviously, there must have been restaurants in the past where they were like the place to be. And yeah, I, just, I kept going in, and they were like, "Oh, we're fully staffed, fully staffed." I was just, I just kept trying. I, I tried like week after week. I was like, and I heard they paid really well. You know, and they were busy, and everyone. And I'd come off the back of working in jobs where 
we're doing 80 hours, 70 hours, 80 hours, 70 hours. Even at Bingham, it appealed to me beforehand, but there was still like a lot of hours, like 80 hours. So it's still 8 till midnight, but the travel was shorter to get home. But like, on, you wouldn't get the break. Like you'd do like a morning service, and then they, had, they did weddings downstairs. You'd have to go down and help the wedding function chef, and then come back up and do the dinner service. And then like all the sous chefs would leave the kitchen after service, and you'd have to scrub the whole kitchen down. It was brutal, but actually it was alright because like I was enjoying it. Like the food was really good. It was a passionate team that wanted to win something, but it was a close team, and I probably learned like, the most from Shay. And he gave me my, the first chef to give me, give me a knife, which meant a lot to me. Um, you know, I didn't have my on knives. That's a really big deal. So that was a big yeah. deal, yeah. Because I turned up there with no knives, right. and then I went and bought some shit, Biogen, like, <laughs> like the whole range. I got my mum to buy me like, the whole range, and oh. turns out they were shit. Like yeah. I didn't know anything. Yeah. And he gave me a really good sentimental knife, um, so that meant a lot to me. So I was happy to work there for him. But yeah, joined Jamie's. So, so they Jamie, finally had a space. So finally they let me in for a trial, and compared to like the work I had been doing, it was fairly easy to do. So yeah, worked there, and then I was actually within the Jamie's group for like five years. I did a bit of everything. You know, I worked at the Trat, Jamie's, Jamie's Italians, uh, Barbacoa, so I helped launch Union Jacks, I was part of the opening. And then when 15 had a refurb with John Rotherham, and I was just saw, you know, the type of food he was cooking, I was like, I have to go out there. You know, so I left my head chef role. I was really, I was head chef at a really young age, because it's not about kind of how much experience, it's just about kind of in that kind of company where everything's so standardised. You know, they've got recipes, they've got, you know, stand systems and procedures. You just have to be able to follow them, and then depending on how well you follow them, it shows in your progression. So you you, progress, you can progress pretty quickly in companies like that because, you know, as long as you do what you're told pretty well, people are happy with you. But then, you know, the refurb at 15 was amazing. So I, I went, I took one of my chefs with me, I took two of my chefs with me actually from the track in Richmond. And we went there to 15 and we worked again for like a year, a year or so. And then I went to Barbacoa for like the last stint of my time. And then... What was your favorite place to work at within the Jamie Oliver group? It had to be 15. It was hard, but it was definitely 15. Only because 15 and working with John, and I've not told him this, by the way, but he kind of shaped the kind of chef I want to be, working with him. So, like, you know, when you're young and you're impression, you're, you're really impressionable, and you're like, oh, I want to do fine dining. Oh, I want to do, you know, this. I want to do that. And I want to do arty. And I want to do this. I actually, you, you don't, you know, you spend a lot of time figuring out what kind of chef you want to be and what kind of style you want, how you want to cook, how you want to... And lots of chefs have their own styles. And John kind of, he, he didn't influence the way I wanted to cook. But I saw in him, through him, like what I wanted to be. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. You know, he was so confident in his food. And he has every right to be, he's an amazing chef. But yeah, it was really impactful working for him and learning everything. And the food wasn't Michelin star, but it could have, it was better than, in my opinion, it was better than all the Michelin star restaurants I'd worked in. All the, I worked in a number of other places, little stints here and there. Like, I did take some time out from Jamie's. I spent a year in Spain. I did work in some really shit places, like between my dad's restaurant and like Anthony or Thompson's. Right. I won't mention them because you don't okay. know. We're talking TGI Fridays. And right, right. So, like, well, I worked yeah. in some shit places. I worked in some good places. But 15. That's all part of it. I mean, yeah, you can't start experience. somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I always thought I'd win the lottery by now anyway, so I yeah. didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be working. Uh, by this point. But yeah, so 15, hands down, best experience within the group. And then is that the point you joined JKS? So I went to Barbacoa and it was just a machine. It's like big, busy, 
it's hard because it's a lot of staff and they use a lot of agency and there's no like there wasn't a really like, I'm not I'm not trying to slate them it's just big sites are hard to run and you know I'd come from restaurants where in the teams we've all been really close and there's been like a really big family feel to the to the team going into a place where people don't really know each other's names you know it's yeah it's a big 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 show yeah it, was a, it felt a little bit corporate and yeah it's not what I kind of felt like I signed up for so I left kind of imploded a little bit you know and then I looked for jobs and I saw a gig for like funky jacket potatoes okay <laughs> you know like I was just I needed to work and I was like oh, I wanted some I wanted creative control and I was ready to take anything that would give me like some creative control and there was like and there's somewhere in Soho that was meant to open I think it did open but it shut down and then they, they moved to Box Park Road and I don't know if they're still around but so it's a jacket potato concept that does like funky jacket potatoes for lunch to go I was like ah, it could be fun you know it could be like it's work it's fun it's creative it's like not going to be like, in the back making jacket potatoes hopefully it's more of a development role so and I met the owner and she's like lovely lady and she seemed supportive and she liked, she liked my CV I was I literally about to call her to I did a trial I think I remember I did I did something for her I think I did a cook a cook off for her in her kitchen and then I was a it was two days later I made my decision I was like okay I'm going to take this jacket potato gig and then I saw an, I saw a, an ad for Indian barbecue like I was cooking barbecue barbacoa and like a little bit of 15 so I was like oh wow cool you know new opening development before we open or like it ticked all the boxes you know good salary competitive salary and I, I didn't know anything about JKS like someone mentioned it to me in passing maybe like a year before you know about the group and how interesting it was and how diverse it is and did they already have all the restaurants that they have now they I had mean, they had Gymkhana, Lyle's Trishna Trishna Kitchen Table they had most of them Hoppers they had most of, yeah they had Hoppers and you know I applied for it I got an email response within five minutes Karen messaged me and yeah I just went and met him and I went to their head office and it's a little bit daunting the first time because it's not a head office where people are messing around there's no music I, I imagine yeah, head yeah, office yeah. always being like ping pong tables and, right right you know it wasn't like that at all it's like people focus serious working like serious work mentality and I went into the office and they've got like pictures around of all yeah. the restaurants and they've got like all the stars and everything so it's like where, where it's pretty amazing it's in uh, Marleybone Okay, cool. George Street. And yeah, I went there, I was like overwhelmed, and I met him, and he told me about the concept of Brigadiers, how it was in the making. It was just about two years before it opened, and about how much I could be such a big part of the opening and the development, and use my experience of like Western cooking and kind of integrate that with Indian flavors, you know, for this concept. And Did you uh, feel you could work with Indian flavors? I was like, I, I, told, I, I did say, like, look, I worked at Benares, but. That was like a lifetime. Fifteen years ago, was, when you're young, you don't really absorb as much. I feel like I didn't. So I was like, "Yeah, I'm fucking working," you know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're more concerned about money and yeah, friends. I was, exactly. <laughs> I was going out. I'd work and then I'd go out clubbing and then I'd come back straight to work and I'd destroy myself. So I didn't really absorb much then, but I, I did see some Indian food. So the plan was okay. Come on board. Put me in Trishina for a bit. Put me in Jim Gun for a bit. Learn the cuisine. Learn as much as I can. Absorb as much as I can. Eat as much Indian food as I can and then start developing dishes for Brigadiers and like when I started just an onslaught of information and menus like menu drafts for Briggs words like I had no idea what anything meant you know, no clue 
I just had to kind of blag it a bit and wing it and be like, yeah, yeah, it sounds good and this is all right and this is, I think it'll be better with a bit of this. But actually, spending time in Trishna and Gymkhana was probably the best thing I did because you pick up quite quick in those kitchens, you know, because yeah. they're fast-paced, they're passionate, they're full of professionals. Yeah. And actually, with within the language, Persian and Hindi has quite a lot of similar words. So actually, I found myself picking up a lot of Hindi quite quite quickly. Oh, really? Yeah, it was really easy to integrate within the team. And they're, they're really welcoming as well. And they knew that, you know, I'm not there to like, I'm not I'm not on boss, I'm no one to like, I'm not big-headed, I'm not going to come in and like say, oh, this is shit, this is wrong. But, you know, they knew I was there for another concept. So yeah, they're all really can welcome. I, can I just ask, sorry to yeah, cut no you off. Um, so there was, Jim Connor was already doing really well. What, what was the key difference between that and Brigadier's? So like, what was the thinking behind like wanting to open another one? So I think Brigadier's is quite different. So I think Jim Connor's food is more traditional Northern Indian cuisine. It's like a really, really well executed curry house. In my opinion, it's like the best Indian restaurant in the world for me. Yeah. For, and. I mean, I've not been to any Indian restaurants outside of the UK, but like my mind's made up. The service is quite colonial, but it's very, very luxurious. The service is very attentive. The food is incredible. You know, the amount of like detail they give to spicing and, you know, marinating and cooking the, the dishes is amazing. So I learned like loads, you know, and I'm, like, I was like overwhelmed because they've got such a professional team in Jim Carter and the concept was to be similar to Jim Carter, but so the, I don't know if you've been to Brigadiers. The design's similar to Jim Carter. It looks like it's like designed by the same people, but the food's like more drinking food, more snacky food, more or playful. Whereas Jim Carter's like very serious. It's very, you know, like a quail seek's a quail seek. Uh, a butter chicken's like the best butter chicken. The, you know, the kima's the best kima. The biryanis are the best biryanis. It's that's what Jim Carter does. You know, it's a very, very, very excellent curry house. And Brigadiers was meant to be like a sports bar, tavern, mess hall. So I don't know, because you haven't been, they've got like screens around, so they show like football, pool tables, they've got poker tables. It's meant to be like a gentleman's playground. It's very male-orientated. You know, they've got like whiskey vending machines, self-serve uh, beer that fill up from the bottom. Okay. So yeah, that's what Brigadiers is. It's meant to have like club sandwiches with Indian flavours. Lots, lots of like twists on like classics. Okay. Um, so that, that's okay, so it is very different. Yeah, 100%, okay. completely different. That's why it seems so exciting to me because we were creating stuff from scratch. You know, we used some Gymkhana-based recipes and stuff and we did lots of development every week. We'd do like four or five dishes from that master list. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right again. Yeah. You know, was it like do... you and how many people were working on the recipes? Yeah, so actually I was probably the first one recruited part of that, part of the development team. Yeah. And then like other people came on board later on I could summer, I could serve, I could chat. And then in the end, like we all, like Karim kind of pulled the strings, you know, and like he had us all developing like a number of di dishes separately. And then we all, it all just came together. When we got the site and like, when we went into the site and we started cooking all together and you know, we put the menu together, we designed the kitchen, we set everything up. Yeah, it just came together. We did cook-offs like every day. If it wasn't, how are we gonna make this better? How are we gonna, you know, present it better? How are we gonna make it taste better? If we couldn't, you know, we culled a lot of stuff. Was that like your loads. main job? Yeah, that was it. It, it was became amazing. your main job, yeah, like developing recipes. Loved it. Yeah, it was That's the best so cool. two years ever, and it's what I wanted to do for such a long time. So yeah, it was amazing. Even though it was a cuisine that I'm not 100% familiar with, I felt comfortable enough by that point to develop dishes because I'd learned quite a lot from Jim Carla, mainly. 
And that's when you started thinking about Baron Jack. No, Baron Jack was always a hypothetical conversation in the background. Karim and I both agreed that there wasn't really a great place to go and eat Iranian food that we knew of in London. So I'd be like, oh, I went to so-and-so yesterday. It wasn't, it wasn't great. This was a bit bland. This wasn't cooked very well. Iranian's very hard to be cool. As in, like, it's very yeah. home cooking, very, like, yeah. like I, it tastes great, but it doesn't feel like like a Soho night out. Yeah, it doesn't. And it's not, it's usually Iranian food is for Iranians. It's ugly food, it's food, but ugly food's like the most delicious food most of the time. But yeah, we, we, we both agreed that the atmosphere in most Iranian restaurants are a bit dry. You can't really order a drink or wine or a beer. And you, you know, there's not really young people, there's no, you know, Westerners. I don't know, it was just the service wasn't great. So we kind of said, oh, you know, like, jokingly, beginning, we could do one, like, ha ha ha, like, right, we'd call it this and, you know, we'd serve it this, like this, and we'd do that. And these little micro conversations happen in the background. And I think they did a, they had an opportunity to go get a site somewhere in London and it was actually three sites next to each other. And they had two concepts, but they didn't have a third concept. So they're like, oh, you know, do you want to do a, a tasting for the landlords? So it was even like before we launched Brigadiers that this hypothetical conversation. Oh wow, back was, all the way yeah, back then. Yeah, it was like, yeah, we could, for the sake of it, we could be like, okay, we'll do an Iranian concept in this in this third site, which we didn't have a concept for. It was just to like give to the landlords, you know, so they could like consider taking us on board. And yeah, they didn't take us in the end. But then this idea of this restaurant that we had kind of stuck, and it kind of evolved in the background throughout this, you know, the next year or two. And it just kept getting bigger, and then we were like, okay, let's do a. Let's, when Brigadier, when we started Brigadiers, we were like, okay, this is getting serious. We're gonna do a site. We're gonna launch Brigadiers. We're gonna, you know, steady the ship, make sure it's good, make sure everything's nice and settled, and we're gonna do a Baron Jack. And I was just like, you know what? It didn't hit me. Like I didn't think it was gonna materialize. So I wasn't like as excited as I should have been. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I had like some doubt, but I had some doubt. When like they came and showed me the site, I was like, you know, like yeah. we came and looked at it, and it looked and it was this this, this place. Is the that site, we're yeah, they were like, okay. oh look, Karam sent me the address. I was like, go have a look at this place. We'll tell me what you think. So I came and had a look at it, and it it's a shit hole. Like it's still a shit hole. Like, rip, you know, I love it. Not I love touch the this stuff. People think we've done stuff like this on purpose, and it's like it, well, we didn't touch it. It was like this, and this is what I wanted it to be. Like all the plaster and this is original. Like yeah, someone's painted on it. Someone's like hand drawn on this, but like the way the brick comes into the wall and the distressed look and like all the plaster, that's how it was originally. Like we didn't touch anything. That that's big red pipe was there originally. Like we, we didn't do anything to it. We just put a kitchen into it, some tables and chairs. The, the idea was it was meant to be like an old inhabited bazaar, you know, like in Tehran. So imagine you've got Tehran Bazaar and there's like a plot in there that's been derelict and left and vacated someone like an old kebabi has come in there and he's just put a mangal in there some tables and chairs and he's started cooking kebabs in there you know and that, that was the idea the idea of keeping it so distressed because jks haven't done anything like this distressed you know but it's to me it feels authentic it feels like it represents my experiences in iran so fucking iran's like that it's derelict you know like every, anywhere i went was derelict and everywhere i go here that's an iranian restaurant it's like so cheesy and so tacky and you know there's like neon lights and this i don't know i don't feel it represents Tehran that I know. So yeah, we did this design and at every corner, like the the contractor was like, okay, so what do you want to do here? Like, leave it. <laughs> Nothing. Like, like, no, no, but you've got to do something. I was like, no, just, just leave it. Wow. Just like brush it down, seal it, make sure nothing comes off it. Like, 
so like nothing pulls away from it, no dust, right, right. stones. So they had to seal most of it. You know, this, this used to be a kitchen in here. That's what I was going to ask. So you, did you decide to keep it in an open kitchen on purpose? Was that yeah. like... So I think it's really important. One, it's really important that people can see the bread being made fresh. Yeah, Such I a love USB the bread. Of Iranian food, it's that fresh bread. Yeah. Very few things are better than fresh bread. And then secondly, it's just nice. It's, inter it's interaction. You interact with the guests. You get to meet the guests. We've got so many regulars that are on first name basis with that we have good relationships with they come in it's like you see them at the gym or you see them you see them after a couple of weeks you talk about the football and or Christmas or New Year or, you know it is really nice and I feel like Soho has been really accepting of us and we are like a, a neighborhood restaurant now and we do have some guests that we can call friends now you know we had a first birthday party and we invited them and yeah I'm just, I'm just still pinching myself really got a good team things are going well we, we've you know we had a great year who you know? decided on the name and like the the vibe the feel the like the website the all all that stuff was that jks like how how does it work between you and them okay so when you do an opening with like a company like jks they you start with the concept the name was just what we'd called it for the meantime, till we thought of a better name. But then actually we're like, what do we, are we gonna have like meetings about what we're gonna call this fucking restaurant? Or are we gonna call it Baron Jack, which is what we've called it hypothetically from the beginning. And what does Baron Jack mean? Like small rice. Okay. So, but it, it translates to little rice, but it's something my auntie used to make for me. It's something from Shaman. And it's like toasted raw rice, not puffed rice. People get it mixed up because if you Google it, it comes up as like puffed sweet rice. It's not that. It's a very boring, crunchy, hard to eat, <laughs> raw toasted Does it rice. Taste salt. Nice? No, it's very nice. Okay. It's addictive because it's really crunchy. Right, right. But it's something that I had growing up, and it was nostalgic, and it meant a lot to me. Like a lot of the wow. dishes and the thi things that we've done here are based around my experiences and what I've had. And Aaron Jack was pl fun, playful. Like usually, Iranian restaurants are named on either a town or a city or a cooking utensil. It's so cliche. It's like pick a name of a city and call it your restaurant. So because of that, we called it Baron Jack at the very early stages and it's stuck. Like we were very relaxed about everything. We were just, it needs to be casual, it needs to be fun. It needs to be dark, it needs to be loud. You know, the music needs to be up. People need to have a good time. The food needs to be good, it needs to be fresh. I love the drinks menu. Thank you. I love that it's like a very interesting non-alcoholic basis and then like you can spike it and then that's like the option on yeah, the side. Yeah, because Iran's a dry country so it's yeah. really hard when you do a drinks menu. We initially launched with like, okay, we want to be versatile so we'll put two wines, two reds, two whites, a beer, just to please everyone. But actually like the wine program developed over time. Now we offer like some really interesting Middle Eastern wines. The Shabbats evolved over time and like, you know, they're not cocktails, so like people are like, oh, some people think, oh, they're wishy-washy, but yeah, but they're not, they are. They're, you wouldn't have a Ribena and say, oh, it's wishy-washy. It's, it's Ribena, it's a cordial, you know? It's, and that's what I think, it's funny, because the people that come and eat here, we don't get like chef, a lot of chefs that come and eat, a lot of restaurant people that come and eat here. Yeah. Just a lot of normal people come and eat here, people that like fresh, honest, good cooked food. You know, like we're not gonna say, oh, we're the groundbreaking next big thing in London, doing something new and innovative. We're not, we're really not. We're not even doing modern Iranian food. We're just taking traditional classic Iranian cuisine and cooking it like to the best we can with like the best ingredients we can find. That's that's all we're doing. We want people to come here, especially the new generation of Iranians, the younger generation of Iranians, like myself, where I don't really have anywhere to take my friends and be like, look, this is Iranian food, you know? And then when we did like the design, you got loads of little teams. So you've got like a, a ten design tender team that do all the digital renders, and then you make any changes you want, then it goes out to tender. And then that's when the contractors come in and you have weekly site meetings where they do the build, you sign off on like, literally everything you have to sign off on. 
if you you have to make a decision about everything. So like that 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 tile, <laughs> that fire extinguisher, you wouldn't believe how many like decisions you have to make. And then you've got we worked with a branding company, we worked with a PR company. So your week just gets Was filled up. Was it JKS who picked them though? I guess I'm yeah, interested so in like who who's funding. So JKS funds it all. Fund it all, okay. But then they'd recommend using like this PR team or like a new PR team might get in touch about, look, use us for this next project. We can do this, this and this. And then you you might take someone on for a trial period and then be like, okay, that's it, no thanks. We'll, cut, we'll go our own separate ways. But yeah, so we use a really good design team called Everything In Between. They're really good. We used a great architect, an interior designer from Australia. And it was really hard working with him because he was like, on the other side of the world. Based in Australia? Yeah, he was okay. based there, but he was English, but he's based in Australia. But now he's here in the UK and with us as a group. Who is the key decision maker? So I guess, because this is you know your, your place, but funded yeah. by a company. So how, how does that balance work out? So every decision inside this restaurant was made by me, I guess. Okay. You know, like nothing so they respected was, Yeah, nothing was challenged. And I, it's thinking back on it, like there's not one thing we kind of conflicted on or I was like, I want that. Like, no, we can't have it. You know, right. like well, there was nothing like that. I guess because it maybe because I wanted it so simple. I just wanted a mango, which is that big showpiece. And is wanted, that where you cook the meat? Yeah, the mango. That's like that was a bespoke made for us. Couldn't live without. It. That's what everything is cooked on. And it's okay. our baby, and it's it will last like a lifetime. And when we eventually one day if we close, it will end up in my garden, and then it'll be <laughs> my garden for a lifetime. It's big, but you know, it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. I'd love to hear if you hit any like bumps in the road. It sounds pretty smooth sailing. Yeah, I told you it was boring. Pretty like, really boring story. <laughs> um, not really. Like it's hard. Like just staffing. Like it's hard. Staffing's hard. You know, it's hard to find people that will come in and treat the place as it's their own, yet not get the benefits of having it as their own. You know, it's, you're asking a lot as employers. We ask a lot of our staff, especially in this environment in this industry. But we, we take care of people, you know, we're not... I think that era of chefs like having a really predominant, aggressive chef, bullying everyone, like... Oh, you know, the one that has, like, a massive ego, just on a power trip, like, that... I, I haven't seen that for a long time. You know, and hopefully that's slowly, like, er eradicated within our industry. We're a team, we're a family, we don't really have a hierarchy. This place is kind of built and succeeds on, like, hard work. And that's it, that's our ethos. You know, you come to work, you put in a shift, you go home. You know, and we've got a really tight knit team and it's we're there now, like but it was hard to kind of get the right people. Right. You know, because you get people that kind of change recipes or like can't be bothered to do stuff, come in like can't be bothered to do something one day and then like you fall behind and then the next person has to suffer the next day. So like in terms of but that but every kitchen goes through that. You How know? do you really um, make sure nobody like tries to replicate your menus? You don't, you can't. You can't. You can't there's yeah. nothing you can do about that. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. You just have to see it as a compliment. And we don't, we don't look at what other people do too much. You know, we, I think we're looking at, we're focusing on our own aspirations and what we want this place to keep evolving into. You know, we want to expand the menu a bit more. We want to, we're doing a couple of really exciting events this year. You know, we can't, there's no time to look at other people and worry about what they're doing, you know? Is there anyone in the industry that you look up to? Or any restaurants that you're like, okay, I want to be like that one day. If we could get a second site and we could do an Iranian version of Jim Carlo, that would be like my dream. Because this was, my dream wasn't to have a restaurant. No? No, 100% no. Like, I never pitched for it. I never 
Karam and Joe and the Satis, they get pitched restaurant ideas all the time. You know, they turn them down all the time. I don't know, I guess they really wanted a rainy restaurant. I really enjoyed working with them for the group, and I guess they must have enjoyed working with me. And yeah, I'm really lucky, like, I count my blessings. I, I got really lucky. Like, I got handed a restaurant, a blank restaurant, to, like, build what I want. I mean, that is some it. people's lifelong dream. Yeah, it is a lot dream. of people's dream. Yeah. A lot of chefs used to kind of work towards that. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I got, I got it. I got given it on a plate. So uh, I'd like to pay them back, you know, in terms of, like, with hard work and with just good food, you know, with a good restaurant that has a good reputation and that's taken seriously, you know, so I would like, you know, if we did a second site to be, like, get a mission, like, you know, the first Iranian mission star restaurant, like, really, really fine, like, high class. Like, people come in and really, like, respect what you do. Have you got any advice for anyone who's about to start their own restaurant or business or? Yeah. Appreciate your staff. Definitely appreciate your staff, you need them. Don't overcomplicate things. You know, things are black and white. Keep things simple. Be nice to your guests. If the people are complaining about something, they're right. You know, listen to advice. It's like this place was formed on advice and criticism and feedback. So you've got to take it on board. We wanted to open this place and for it to be as fast as some of the other restaurants we have in terms of like dining speed. We wanted people to come in, get a couple of kubi there, knock it back and get out. People don't want that. The guests would come in and they want to try the wine and they want to like, order some mazes, some dips, and then maybe a Quraysh. And they want to spend two hours here, an hour and a half here. And it was the opposite. It was conflicting with what we wanted the restaurant to be, so like we'd set everything up to be like fast-paced, quick, bam, 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 food. Put the order through, it all comes at once, you know, everything when it comes. But then, yeah, we just had to adjust and slow everything down and put more emphasis on like the wine room, move the Quraysh. You know, we were always meant to be like a kebab restaurant. And then uh, summer came and it was, like, fucking, it was hot. We'd, no one wants Quraysh now. So yeah, the people of London determine what kind of restaurant it would be. But I advise that, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Because you only do it once. All right, cool. Thank, Thank you. you so no much. Worries. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed that. I really enjoyed my chat with Kim. I really love what he's accomplished. Honestly, before Baron Jack, I'm not really sure you would ever get really excited about going to Iranian. Like, the food's been great. There are places that do great Iranian, but none of them have the vibe that Kian's created in Baron Jack and Soho. Really highly recommend it. They will be opening up soon. Check out their Instagram for the actual dates. In the meantime, you can order. You can order on Deliveroo, and they've also just started doing deliveries direct from their website using Slurp. You'll remember Slurp. We spoke to him earlier in the season. My go-to is the Juja Kebab, Shirazi Salad, Masto Masir, mopped up with a taftoon bread. And I'm sure I said all of that wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. I've got a very special guest on next week, so make sure you check it out. All right, see you next week. 